Let me just decree that for a second. Let me just speak this over you. I want you guys to understand what worship looks like and what it means for those that are still in this prostrate position and still worshiping God this morning. In Genesis 22, 5, we hear the word that Abraham says, I'm going to worship. Uh, I'll be back. I'm going off to worship. In fact, many times in the Old Testament, uh, and you would see the same word for worship. In fact, most of the scripture, there are two main words for worship, but the truth is they mean exactly the same thing. They are translated worship. But whenever they are discussed between us and God, they say worship. But whenever that word is used between us and man, the term they use is bow down. But the word is very clear. It is, it is I'll say it in the American way, uh, shaka. Shaka. And if you've heard Heidi Baker before, she's always saying shaka baba. Shaka baba. Me and Bill were talking about this the other day. Shaka baba. Which literally in Hebrew means worship daddy. Okay, worship daddy. But the word worship actually, technically the full definition of it is to bow down, to be prostrate, to prostrate oneself. Okay, another definition of that is to pay homage to. What's interesting about that is the Greek word proskuneo means to fawn or crouch to, to prostrate oneself and to do reverence a homage. It's exact same word. So literally every time in the New Testament that we see the word worship, when it says worship God, worship the Lord, worship him in his house, worship, I go to worship God. It literally means, it literally quite really means I'm going to lay down before the Lord. I am going to prostrate myself. So some of you, if you're new in here and you're going, why are these people laying down or kneeling down at the altar? I've never taught this. Laying down or kneeling down at the altar. Why are they doing that? That is literally the definition of worship. It is not a slow song. Some of you are looking at me like, what? I, I thought it was the slow song. Praise is the fast song. Worship is the slow songs. Did I just blow some of your minds? Are you okay? Can you handle this? Some of you are already checked out. You're like, nope, I can't do it. I can't do it. But it literally means to lay down. Worship means to lay down. So this morning, how are you worshiping him? What are you laying down before the Lord? What are you picking up? Man, so many times we have problems in our life. So many times we have worries in our life and we come and we lay them down. We worship God by laying down our situations in front of God and we prostrate ourselves and we prostrate our problems. And then what do we do when the worship service is over? We pick up our problems and take them home with us. We pick them back up. What was meant to be laid down is picked back up. Worship is to lay down, to pay homage to. To bend the knee. In fact, the other word worship that is used for worship in the Bible is actually many times used in, in correlation with the other one. They, it says, and they came to lay down and lay down. Like literally both of them mean bow down actually. To bow down and bow down. And in that case, what it means is to bend the knee and then prostrate. So that's the way the Hebrews would have said it. Not only bend the knee, but then prostrate themselves. So they came and bent the knee. And then prostrated themselves before the Lord. So there's something amazing about what you lay down. Worship is what you lay down. Praise, the, the Jewish word for praise is halal. Halal, halal. It's hard to say. 
does not roll off the tongue. That, that means to jump, shout, clap, sing. All the jumping, shouting, clapping, singing, that's all praise. Halal. But to worship God. When it says there'll be a time when my people will not worship on that mountain, but they will worship God in spirit and truth. He did not say they will halal in spirit and truth. They will praise, clap, and sing in spirit and truth. They will, prost, they will bow down in spirit and truth. That is literally what he was saying. They will bow in spirit and truth. So we have to get ourselves in a humble attitude. Uh, guys, remember uh, famously Indiana Jones? Remember that? He has to go through the trials in the little cave to get to the Holy Grail. Anyone remember that? Right? A penitent man. A penitent man. A penitent man is humble. A penitent man is humble. A humble man. A humble man bows before the Lord. And he bows just in time before the razor blade chops his head off the saw. It comes and chops his head off. A humble man bows before the Lord. I'm telling you right now, the season that we're in, we are in a season where God is asking for us to live up to the scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Do you remember when I, uh, months ago, that I told you guys that what we were coming into, I felt like what the Lord was speaking to me was that we needed to come into a season of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, pray and turn from their wicked ways. Got that backwards. Then I will, uh, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now, I said we were coming into that season months ago, and then I came and said, huh, Rick Joyner just had an encounter with the Lord, and he says the Lord is bringing us into a 2 Chronicles 7.14 confirmation. And then this weekend, um, Ken Fish was talking about the exact same thing, so I know the Lord is aligning it. That's three times. Ha. The confirmation of two or three witnesses. The Lord has brought confirmation. Amen. You guys are too quiet this morning, amen? amen? Come on, if you want a good word, I gotta have some good response. Yeah! That's way better. You say, okay, here's the deal. You don't like that, that annoys you? Then be louder or I'm gonna have him do that every single time you guys are quiet. Yeah! See? People are like, yeah, that, there you go. If, you're, if they're praising, they're okay, but you know, you have to, okay? If they get quiet on me, you just startle them from behind. <laughs> And if you guys online couldn't hear that scream, then these mics are broken. <laughs> All right. So th 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 this idea of laying down before the Lord, the second Chronicles 7, 14, and God says that we need to humble ourselves. You know, Ken Fish had some wonderful insight this weekend when he said something, and I agreed with him 100% because he gave some startling revelation. I want to talk about something a little differently, but I want to key in on what he said. He said, Barna Research has done this, that... Over the last 20 years or so, attendance in church, 73% of, of, of people 20 years ago said that they attend church regularly. They have a church they attend. Today, or within, before COVID, they took another research poll, so it'll be even worse now after COVID. 73% had a church they attended, but as of 20 years have passed, only 43% say the same today. 43%. That is a massive, historically destructive trend that less than half of the people say they attend church when three quarters once did, 20 years ago. Now, what was startling about that when he spoke about it was that you would expect maybe just a steady decline. This steady decline. 
right? It just kind of comes, but that's not what happened. What happened was, is there was this kind of staying steady, staying steady, staying steady, and then it just right off a cliff. It just tanked right off a cliff. Now, here's what was startling to me about that, that statement. Ken Fish said this. He said the majority of that cliff drop-off where people began to leave church was during the Trump administration. It was over the last four years when the Trump administration happened. And this hit my heart really heavy that what happens is, is that we get into a season where we begin to think man is our solution and not God. We begin to think that our government is our solution and not God. We begin to believe that we can correct our piety with policy. We begin to believe that we can get into a place where our purity comes from policy. Where if we can just pass enough purifying laws that the people will be humble and just and moral and godly. That we can have politics dictate purity. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what happened is the same thing the Lord told me. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people will humble themselves and pray, but didn't we humble ourselves and pray? We did, didn't we? But you know what we didn't do? Do you want to know what America did not do in the last four years? It did not turn from its wicked ways. I'm not preaching hellfire and brimstone. You know, you, I, I don't get into that a ton. But if I never talk to you guys about our wicked ways, then we're just going to continue to see the destruction of our own lives as well as the lives of so many others out there. There has to be a moment where we make a decision that we're going to follow all of 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and not just the, well, I'll come into church and I'll prostrate myself down and I'll humble myself and I'll pray and I'll seek your face. But man, I'm not giving up my wicked ways. I like my wicked ways. I want my church and my Jesus on Sunday, but I want my wicked ways on Monday. And there are a lot of us that do that. And maybe you're in this crowd right now and you're saying, well, I don't do that. I don't got no wicked ways. I haven't cheated on anybody. I haven't engaged in anything. Too terrible. I didn't stab anybody this week. Last week, maybe, but not this week. Right? But the week ain't over yet, so we'll see what happens. You guys get quiet on me. We'll find out if I have to repent. Which one? Which one? I'm just picking out who. Which one of you gives me the most grief? You do. Some of you are claiming it. I think he was calling you out, Crystal. It's not Crystal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's none of you guys. I love you. Um, so there has to be this moment where we start to remove ourselves from the idea of encompassing ourselves and surrounding ourselves in things that do not promote the kingdom of God. Okay, and what I want to say is this. What you surround yourself, you'll surrender to. Whatever you, whatever you are surrounded by, you will surrender to. Let me say it one more time for you in the back that didn't hear me. Whatever you surround you, whatever surrounds you, you surrender to. I'm just messing it up. I'm going to say it. Fourth time. I'm going to say it till y'all get it. Make me say it right. 
Whatever you're surrounded by, you'll surrender to. Whatever you're surrounded by, you'll surrender to. It's not the water on the outside of the boat that causes it to drown, though, that causes it to sink, okay? It's when the water gets inside you, okay? So here's the deal. You can be in an environment that is not godly when you're godly, and you can be the boat that floats. But if you've got a couple of holes in you, you're going down with the water, okay? And here's the truth. Unless you are humble, praying, seeking his face, and turning from your wicked ways, you are a different kind of holy. So, that, okay, you get it. Swiss cheese, okay? Stinky, and we don't like it. We have to be the right kind of holy. And the kind of holy we have to be is not the one with the holes in the boat that causes us to sink every time we get in an environment that weighs us down. That the season that we're in demands this right now. It calls and cries out to us that we have to walk in a different level if we're going to see the greatest revival of uh, uh, in the history of mankind, if we're going to see the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever seen, then we have to be the greatest we've ever been. We have to be more committed than we've ever been. We have to be more disciplined than we have ever been. We have to be more loving than we've ever been. You cannot keep on doing on Monday what you are not supposed to do on Sunday and expect God to use you in a mighty outpouring tomorrow. I'm telling you right now, you will surrender to what you're surrounded by. And if you are not surrounded by the things of God, I promise you, you will cave every single time. I'm going to get real. I'm going to get real because I want you to catch this. Okay. I'm going to give you the good side of it and the bad side. Amen. How many of you guys understand there's a light and a dark? There's a good and there's an evil, right? There's two sides of every coin and there's both spiritual, spiritual principles work both ways. They work for your uh, for the creation of something, for the blessing of something, but they can also curse. Satan's always trying to get you into alignment with him. He's always trying to get you to agree with him. He's always speaking negatively to your mind to try to get you to agree with him because he understands the principle of two or more in agreement. Spiritual principles work both ways. If you come into agreement with the word of God, you see the word of God increase in your life. But if you come into agreement with the word of the enemy, you see the word of the enemy become alive in your life. And be rooted in your life. You don't want the enemy to grow up in your life? Stop agreeing with him. That one's for free. But what I'm going to give you today is going to cost you something. If there's anybody that doesn't want to pay it, go ahead and leave now. Because this might cost you something. At least a toe or two. Because I'm going to step on them just a bit. Okay? Some of you are like, that is it. I'm wearing steel toe boots from now on. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do it gently it'll just be a sweet squashing I love you you look nice today at least <laughs> hallelujah in ancient, in ancient uh, uh, Jewish culture around the time of Jesus there was a historian his name was uh, Josephus okay? Flavius Josephus uh, was the, his Roman name. He was actually a Jew who was raised up learning uh, in the ministry, in the priesthood, learning in the priesthood. And 
and he actually was uh, agreed with the Pharisees. So there was three different sects to Judaism at the time uh, there, and he agreed mostly with the Pharisees. He kind of lined himself up with the Pharisees, which actually, in biblical times, we read a lot about Jesus kind of coming against the Pharisees. We hear a lot about him saying it. But the truth is, is that most of the belief systems of Jesus actually kind of lined up more with the Pharisees than any of them. Did you know that? Like many of them. Not all of them. He had pieces from the Sadducees, and he had pieces from the third one I'm going to talk about. But he lined up many times with the Pharisees, uh, with their kind of thinking about several things. Not all things, because he called them out on a lot of the, the junk. Um, but there were three main sects, and Josephus is the main historian. He writes about Jesus' life. He writes about the Jewish wars. He actually wrote several books of antiquity that are considered authoritative in history. Okay, They're, They are extra-biblical, meaning that they are just historical documents that he wrote. Uh, but I found it interesting is that he went and spent some time with this third sect of Judaism. Many people have never even heard of them, the Essenes. Okay? Some say Essenes. But the Essens, so there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essens. The Pharisees were kind of the aristocrats. The Sadducees were like scholarly, very much teachers and scholars. And they both had different things about belief systems. One, uh, the Pharisees believed that the, uh, in resurrection of the body, or resurrection of the soul, right? They believed in resurrection. Uh, the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. And so it was real easy if somebody was attacking you. In fact, we see Jesus actually do this where people are attacking you. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin was attacking you. If you just brought up a statement about resurrection, they would start fighting each other and you could just kind of slip out of the room. Okay. They would just start fighting with each other about it. Uh, and so if you could get them against each other, so there was a lot of political uh, will thrown back and forth if you, if you are different sides of that coin. But the third class, which we don't see in the Sanhedrin, is the essence. And the reason why we don't see them is they were the priest-monk class. Okay, they were the priest-monk class. And what they would typically do is they're the class that would separate themselves and isolate themselves many times in the desert. Now, there were thousands of them all over Israel, and they were all throughout. So they would be in the city, but they would stay very isolated. They very rarely got involved in any politics. They very rarely got involved in any government. They didn't go to the temple to worship. There were so many things they just isolated themselves from. Uh, and they stayed to themselves. They ate dinner together. They broke bread together. They always ate together. In fact, there are several things that we see that Jesus teaches his disciples that very much resemble the culture of essence. Okay, and, it, and it's, um, there's theories that John the Baptist uh, was an essence or influenced by them or maybe spent time with them as well as Jesus, honestly. That they both spent time with him because of some of the things that they did, or at least the things that they that that were known to essence that mirror in the word. I won't go into all those today, but just understand that happens. But what was interesting about them is that the essence they they would rather not marry. They were not uh, like a Catholic priest where they just were not allowed to marry. But they generally did not marry uh, unless they really felt compelled to. They were allowed to, but they they kind of had a disdain for marriage. And the Essen class, the monk class, had no women at their uh, I, I, monastery. I'll call them a monastery to, to make, make sense to you guys, okay? So they had no women there, which means that they did all the tasks that typical women would do. 
In fact, we see essence actually appear in the New Testament quite a few times. We just don't recognize it. In fact, Jesus actually kind of comes against some of their teaching in different places in Matthew. He'll make some statements. Uh, some of you say not to marry. He, he makes a couple of statements that say against the essence belief system to challenge them. So he didn't just challenge Pharisees or Sadducees. He also did challenge them. But there's a scene where he says, go down to the well and there you'll find a man carrying a pitcher of water and tell him to prepare for the Passover, right? It doesn't say a woman. See, in, in ancient biblical culture 2,000 years ago, a man would not go and fetch the water. That was not the job of a man and it would not happen. You would have had to have had a situation where the wife was an invalid or something was wrong where she could not fetch the water for the man to fetch the water. That was a designated chore of the woman. And so you did not have women. And, and it, was, it was actually really not, uh, it was frowned upon for men to go fetch the water, not because of sexism, although that could have played a role in it, I guess. But the, the reality was is just because that was what women went to do. They went to the well to fetch the water. So the man would have been in a company of women. And that was not considered proper for a man to go and be in a company of women. Do you understand that? So he wouldn't have gone and fetched the water unless he had no choice because he would have put himself in bad surroundings or in tempting surroundings or inappropriate surroundings. In fact, many of the Pharisees would have knots and bumps and scars on their head and they would show them with pride because when they would walk through the streets, they would put their head down so that they didn't even look upon a woman so that they could not lust. So it was, a, it was a symbol of pride. Oh man, that guy's got like four knots on his head and three scars. He's been bumping into everything, not looking at ladies. True. Okay, and so they didn't even want to look on him with lust. So the, the essence would fetch the water themselves because they had no ladies. So when Jesus was saying, go there, find a man drawing the water, what he was saying is, find the essence. And they gathered in an upper room. I want you to understand the upper room the upper room, I want you to catch this because this is good, this is good teaching. The upper room, you're talking about 120 people gathered in there, okay? An upper room would have been the top level of someone's house typically. Jewish houses were not very big. They were kind of small. I know what you're thinking. They didn't have a lot of food back then. They were all just famine. 120 famine people can fit in a 10 by 10. No, they cannot. And you're saying they gathered all day long in the hot, hot, I mean, come on, it's warm there, like this, 120 people in somebody's little house like this. We praise you, God, Lord, we love you. Like, probably not. So they did gather in an upper room, but most likely because he went and sought out an Essen, they were gathering in the upper room of, uh, of an Essen congregation. They gave them a meeting space, said, come on in and gather and have the Passover. So they would have given Jesus this room, most likely. So they were gathering in a bigger space, does that make sense? That was meant to accommodate more people in this upper room to gather for this. So we, so we realized that Jesus interacted with this culture and this group quite extensively. Now, why did I say all that? It was because it was good teaching and you needed to know it and you could see how smart I was, right? No. Because Josephus spent time with them. I want you to understand who these people were. They were the prophetic class of Israel. These were the prophets. In, in Elijah's day with Elisha, we learned that as Elijah was going to be taken up to heaven, that Elijah went and visited the school of the prophets. Okay, it's called, it was named by Samuel, the sons of the prophets. 
Sons of the prophets, that was the name of the school. And Elijah would raise up prophets, and Elisha was one of his pupils in that school. He was made number one. He was a spiritual son of Elijah. <clears throat> but as they went and visited, before Elijah was taken up, he went and visited the three different schools that were started. There were three different uh, prophetic schools that Elijah was over that we see him visit. And each one of them, as they go, they're obviously prophetic because they're like, don't you know? that your uh, spiritual dad is going to be taken today? And he's like, be quiet, I know, right? But he goes with him to each one of these, and Elijah keeps saying, stay home, don't worry about it. But he goes and he visits each one of these school, the prophets. So there's these gatherings of prophets, and the essence were this school of prophecy where they prophesied regularly and quite abundantly. In fact, we don't see them in biblical examples of that, but we do see them in, in Josephus' writing. Josephus went and spent uh, a period with them, probably a month or so with them. And in the Jewish Wars, book two, chapter eight, uh, that he was commissioned to write by Rome. I want you to understand, Caesar commissioned Josephus to write about the Jewish Wars that Caesar won. Caesar destroyed the temple. He came in, there was an uprising. Josephus actually fought against Caesar. He fought against him. They got beat down. Josephus switched sides and became a general for Caesar. But he was a historian, and so he was commissioned to write the history of the Jewish wars on behalf of Caesar. And this is what he wrote in the Jewish wars, book 2, chapter 8, verse 159. It said, there are also among them, we're talking about the essence, he spent some time with the essence, those who pr profess to foretell what is to come? What's another way to say that? Prophecy. Being thoroughly trained in holy books. So these are schooled people in prophecy. Various purifications and concise sayings of prophets. Listen to what he said in there. Rarely, if ever, do they fail in their predictions. He spent time with the essence and what he said was this. They foretold what was to come. They were trained in the holy books. They were trained in various purifications, the, the mikvahs, the baptisms of purifications. They lived a holy life. And, and they were trained in the concise sayings of prophets. So they studied the prophecies. Rarely, if ever, do they fail in their predictions. So during a time and period that many churches are teaching that there was this 400 years of silence where there was no prophecy where nobody prophesied. That actually is not scripturally accurate at all. There, there was no national prophet at that time. There was 400 years without a national prophet, okay, this, this great voice. But there was absolutely always has been prophecy. The spirit of prophecy has never left the earth because it is the spirit of the Lord. The Lord knows all things and he reveals what he wants to reveal and we just repeat. That's what prophecy is. And so he begins to repeat these things, we begin to repeat the things that he says and we prophesy. So I want you to understand that this priest class, they valued prophecy so much that they came and lived amongst each other, spending time daily together breaking bread. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That that's what they did. There is something powerful about the gathering that you don't quite understand yet. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together. Don't forsake the gathering. Not you should gather. 
It's good for you to gather. Do not forsake it. That's a strong statement that there's value in the gathering. Why? Because I want my church numbers to look really good so we can write down our attendance is great. What's the benefit to showing up together? In 1 Samuel 10, verses 5, and then I'll, I'll read uh, 10. We'll skip to 10. But I want to show you this. When, when Samuel runs into Saul, he anoints him as king. But before he can become king, Samuel does something very interesting with him. It's not enough for him just to, just to be a leader. Samuel realized that there is no such thing as a good leader unless they are filled with the presence of God and they are led by God. You want to lead people, be led by God. You want to lead people and you're not led by God, you'll be leading people astray. You can lead people to heaven or you can lead people to hell. Leaders lead. If you are not being led by God, I promise you, you're leading them in the wrong direction. I learned that when I was 16, someone came up to me and they said, well, Ren, you're a leader. And I said, I don't want to be a leader. And they said, it doesn't matter. You do anyways. They follow you. Where are you going to lead them? He says, it doesn't really matter what you want to do. Leaders lead. That's what they do. Where are you going to lead them? Because people are following you regardless. They can follow you to heaven or follow you off a cliff, but they're going to follow you. So some of us need to realize that there are people that are following us. But it's important for a leader to be filled with the presence of God, to be filled with the power of God, to be filled with the gifts of the Spirit. We cannot properly lead this nation. You can, you can gripe, you can complain, you can make political posts, you can talk about the state of the youth today, you can make any statement you want, but if you are not walking in the power of God, then you are leading them the wrong way having a form of godliness, but denying the power within. There's not going to be an improvement in our nation unless you start walking with the power and authority of God when you speak, when you act, and when you lead. And here's the example of that. Saul becomes king. He's a head taller than everyone. He is a mighty warrior, but that is not enough. When they came to Gibad, behold, a group of prophets met him. How many? A group. One prophet? A group. Of prophets met him. Wow, so prophets traveled in groups. I always read about the Old Testament, these lone prophets, right? Jeremiah calling out. Isaiah crying out. John the Baptist calling out from the wilderness. These lone prophets. And so we tend to think of prophecy as being this loner thing. In fact, that's why so many prophets fail. That's why so many prophets have moral failures because having a prophetic voice is very difficult on somebody to hear things. It is, look, I'm telling you right now, I'm not a prophet, I don't, I don't claim that office, but I'm telling you right now, when people come up to me and smile and I hear the Spirit whispering things to me and I know things about you and I smile back and ask you how everything's going as you lie to my face and I know the truth. I don't always know the truth but I know the truth and I have to smile at you. Do you realize that's a weight? You know what the worst weight is? Somebody that comes up to me and shakes my hand and says, good message this morning and I hear the Spirit say they're against you and I smile at them and love them knowing they're against me until one day they finally walk up to me and they say, hey, I got to confess something and I said, I know, you've been against me and they're like, how did you know? I said, I'm prophetic. I've known this whole time. Like that's the truth. So do you understand that that is a weight 
that a lot of people just, everybody, on the, I want to know stuff. I want to know stuff. Do you? Do you really want to be in the heads of what people think? Because it could be bad. So I, I hear these things. And so what happens is the prophets of our nation, they get in this place where they hear all of the good, bad, and indifferent. And because they hear both of those things, they tend to isolate themselves. So they pull back and they retreat and they get isolated because it's just too much sometimes. It's just overwhelming. And it's saddening to see people that are not chasing after God and they think everything is okay and they live in their own delusions. And they're like, I'm doing fine. I came to church and I paid my tithe. While you're living unholy, while everything you're doing is against the order of God. And I hear it and I smile and I love. So a lot of prophets will fall because they'll isolate themselves. But if you look at the Bible, the model is that if you want to walk in something more profoundly at a greater level, then you get into a company. Okay, we're not talking about Fortune 500 company. We're talking about a group of people. When it came, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him. Look what happened. A group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him. And he prophesied among them. He's called to be king. And so Samuel sends him to go find these prophets. After that, you shall come up to, to uh, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harps, tambourine, flutes, and lyres before them prophesying. So he meets this group coming and they're praising, they're, they're, they're dancing, they're singing, they're having a good old time and they're prophesying. A whole group of them. And when Saul gets in their midst, he begins to prophesy. Look at King David. King David wrote the book of, of uh, Psalms, most of it. And in there, many, many times, Jesus actually quoted Psalms as a fulfillment of, of his prophecies. In fact, Jesus quoted Psalms as this is to bring this fulfillment, as it is written, Psalms more than he did anything else towards his death. Psalms was the most prophetic uh, voice at his death. So David was a prophet as well. Leaders prophesy. Leaders have gift of the spirit that pours out of them. I'm just giving you one example here that applies to all the gifts. I hope you guys will catch this. I'm using prophecy as the example for all the gifts. If you want to walk in a healing anointing, guess who you surround yourself by? A company of those that walk in a healing anointing. If you want to walk in wisdom, guess what you surround yourself by? People that walk in a supernatural power of wisdom. If you get into a company of wise men, you will become what? Oh, look at that. You guys are learning already. You're around me. Let that sink in for about three seconds. 1 Samuel 19, starting at verse 18, says this. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Okay, so Saul's being mean. It's during that season where Saul's gone, kind of going crazy. I want you to understand that just because you can prophesy, just because you can walk in the gifts, doesn't make you righteous either. I want you to catch this. Your holiness and your gifting are two separate things. Saul was in the middle of prophesying, in the middle of, of the throne, and it says that he had a thought about David in the middle of prophesying. I just see that the Lord is about to elevate you right now, Chas, and he's about to just pour out his spirit on you, Chris. Mm. And he chucks a spear across the room and tries to kill David suddenly. 
He's in the middle of prophesying. He's like, and he just tries to kill him. Doesn't think about killing him. Doesn't, isn't rude. He throws a spear at him. Just because you operate in gifts does not mean you are pure. Just because you showed up at church, paid your tithe, and did your hours does not mean that you are living righteously. It does not mean that you are forgiven. Just because you shared your faith, because you told someone the mysteries, you walked up and you prophesied. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You, you people that work sin. I'm not talking to people that have sin. How many in this room don't have any sin? Anybody? Yeah, that was a smart move. Don't raise your hand. I don't see anybody named Jesus in this room. We all have sin. There is a difference. He doesn't say, depart from me, you who have iniquity. Sin. Depart from me, you who have iniquity. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. These people are reaping and harvesting and sowing iniquity. They are doing it willfully. There is a difference between a stumble and intentional. Do you understand that? These people were casting out demons. They were prophesying. They were walking in the gifts, but they were purposely sinning. They were all Jesus on Sunday and all them on Monday. So now David fled and escaped and came to the place that Samuel told him and, Saul, and, all, and told Saul, all, uh, Samuel all Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. Okay, I want you to get this. He finds out he's there, sends messenger to go capture David. And when they kill him, capture him. And when they saw the company of what? Prophets. Prophesying. And Samuel standing as head over them. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. Okay, well, hold on. David is fleeing from Saul. Saul says, we found out where he is. I'm going to send my men. Go get the guy. Go capture him. And they go to capture him. And along the way, they come up to capture him. And there is a group of prophets prophesying. Not warriors protecting David. Not as mighty men of valor protecting him and warring and fighting. But a group of prophets simply prophesying. And the men step into the atmosphere. And they are blasted by the spirit of prophesy. And they begin to prophesy. You see that? They begin to prophesy. Well, that's a fluke. They were there to kill David. Instead, they turned into prophets. When it was told to Saul, so Saul gets the report, he sent over other messengers, and they also prophesied. Two times now. This is kind of like the prophet. When they, when they send for him, they're like, prophet, uh, the king wants you to come. And he's like, if I be a prophet, you be burned up. And they all burned up, and then they sent another one, and they got burned up, and sent another one, and they got burned up. Okay, so instead, they're getting holy fire poured out on him. They're beginning to flow in the gifts. These guys are there to kill David, but end up prophesying instead. And Saul sent messengers again the third time. And they also prophesied. Do you see the pattern here? Are we getting it? Then he himself went to Ramah and they came to a great well that is in Seku. And he asked again, where are Samuel and David? 
And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit, <laughs> this is Saul, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. So even Saul, who's going there to kill him, can't get away from the spirit of prophecy that has invaded this space. Why? Because a company of prophets has come and assembled together. Not two or three, a company. This is more. If we want to see our city changed, then we need to start coming together as a company, not a congregation. A company of prophets. A company of those that walk in healing. A company of wise men. A company of deliverance ministers. A company of people. That's so much so that even when someone walks through that door to cause us harm, they will feel the presence of God and begin to fall in love and prophesy instead of bring destruction. If for one second... We would just become a company of those that are walking in purity. People would walk in that door and sin would break its hold on them and they would be set free because of our holiness. There are people in here that walk in and they walk out the same way because we are not living as a company of those anointed by God. If we will be a company of those that are walking in purity, that are walking in holiness. Then when people walk in this room, they will have no other choice but to be confronted with holiness. To be embraced by holiness. To feel the love of God instead of the lust of man. So we're not there yet, church. We're not there yet. And I'm not, I'm not this is not me down to you. I'm with you. We're not, we are not there yet, but I want to be there. I'll know we're there. I'll know we're there when we're walking in the power of God that when someone walks in the door, they're like, I don't know why. How many times has somebody come and visited our church, maybe from another church or for a conference, and they've walked up to you and had a conversation with you and said, I don't know why it is, but when I come in your church, I can hear God's voice better. Have you heard that before, anybody? I hear it all the time. Several of you, people come up to me and tell it to me all the time. Hey, be quick to raise and quick to praise. You've heard that before? Raise your hand so other people see it. There you go. Okay, so someone has said that to you. That's because we've stepped into prophecy here. We've become a company of prophets. There are prophets amongst us. Prophecy happens here regularly in this church. People know things about other people they shouldn't know. It happens all the time. If you're new to our church and you don't know what I'm talking about, don't leave the second it's over. Let some people greet you. You'll get freaked out. Get over yourself and just understand it's not a dead God. If something's dead, it should do something. Okay? When, when you want to find out if something's dead, you check to see if it's breathing. You check to see if its heart's beating. You check to see if there's activity. Yet you come in church and you're like, God's alive, but I don't want no activity. That doesn't make any sense. Prophecy is the activity. Healing is the activity. Outpouring of love, breaking of chains, those are activities. God does it. Just like he, it is his breath. That's what it is. The heartbeat of God sets you free. 
So if we get a company, so we know that we have a company of those that are walking in prophecy here. We see people step into the room and get healed. So we know there are a company of those walking in healing here. But does, do people walk in? And when they walk in, the iniquity that's bound them. I'm not talking about workers of iniquity. I'm talking about people that walk in here who are bound by sin. It's grabbed a hold of them. They have addictions and things. They don't know how to break and they're desperate. When they walk in, do those chains snap? And are they set free just by being in the company of those that are walking in purity? The essence said that they practice daily the purification. So they didn't just prophesy, but they kept themselves pure and holy. Those things cannot be separated. They cannot be pulled apart. They have to go together. If we were to walk in the fullness of what God has called us to. Amen? So Elijah had the school of the prophets, the sons of the prophets. But then we see this in Old Testament, and I'm teaching you the Old Testament, but does this appear in the New Testament? Of course it does. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place, in one accord. I didn't know they made cars back then. Oh, the Jews really could gather 120 all in small spaces. Yeah, it was not a Volkswagen, it was an Accord. Um, so they all gathered together. I know, cheesy old joke. Some of you are just catching it. You're like, oh, a car. It's all right. So when the day of Pentecost came, it says they gathered all together. It says they came together daily and they broke bread. Now, they were not Essens. They went to the temple. They worshipped. They were not Essens, but they obviously learned something from the Essens, that the idea of getting together every day, breaking bread together, fellowshipping, bringing everything together and selling all they had and sharing it communally, that was Essen. That was, the, 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 that was how Essens lived. And so they realized the benefit of that. These mighty men of God get together and their prophecies never miss. Maybe there's something about us all being in each other's atmosphere and being a company of prophets. And when they gathered all together and when they had come together for days, 10 days, they gathered. The spirit of the living God came upon them and divided tongues came on them and tongues manifested. And it says that they began to what? Prophesy. This is that. As the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh, my sons and daughters will prophesy. Do not forsake the gathering. Why? Because when we come together as a company of something, there he is in the midst pouring out that power and that spirit. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important that each one of us has personal responsibility to walk holy. Why did nothing change in the last four years? Why are we seeing people disappear from church? Why are we seeing that we humbled ourselves and prayed and the nation just seems to get worse? Because we have not turned from our wicked ways. Because we have stayed workers of iniquity. We have justified sin by greasy grace. We've allowed ourselves to just go, it's fine, it's cool because I love Jesus. It's all good. Why I hurt him and defile his name. You cannot continue to live the same way you've been living and then wonder why God is not using you for mighty things. You cannot ask God to bless that which you have cursed. 
Somebody needs to get this. God's word says, I will bless who you bless and I will curse who you curse, right? So, and the word says, don't curse nobody. In the New Testament, we read, it says, don't curse people. Don't do that. I will bless who you bless and curse who you curse. Do you realize that you are cursing yourself when you allow yourself to stay in sin? You are cursing you. God is not cursing you. He loves you. His desire is for you, but he will not go against his word. If you curse what is cursed, it is cursed. When you allow sin to come in and dominate your destiny, you are cursed. You are the one doing it. Do you understand? Okay, Ren. Pastor, you've given us a lot of big illustrations. Now here's the stepping on the toes. You'll surrender to what you're surrounded by. The eyes are the window to the souls. What you see, here, here, let me just be real, real frank, especially my men out there, my men that are listening to me. We're visual. What you see, you'll want to do. You hear what I'm saying? What you see, you'll want to do. Stop. What you see, you'll want to do. And that visual image stays with you so much longer than the time you saw it. It stays with you. Stop making justification for the wrong. And here's the thing. I'm not, I, I, uh, I'm sure we got some young ones in here, but I'm just gonna, look, don't bring the young ones in here if you don't want me to be real, okay? They need to hear it too because sometimes you wanna shelter their ears and you don't realize their friends have already showed them all the things you're trying to shelter them from the word of. They've already seen, I promise, if, if you're in middle school in here, I promise you if you're in middle school in here, somebody has tried to show you uh, uh, pornography. They walked right up to you with their phone and said, look at this. It already happened. Maybe you're the one showing it to people. I don't know. So we're, we're not going to pretend like they're innocent and sheltered. Okay, but here's the reality. How do we get to the pornography? Here, you know, oh, pastor's preaching on pornography. How did we get to the pornography? That Netflix show that had the brief nudity. You know, that Netflix show that had the compromising sex scene where they weren't married. You know, it, it didn't show any nudity, though. They were just under the covers, and they were just in lingerie. But we know what happened. And you're like, ooh, but they're not married. I mean, it's fine because they didn't show anything, though, right? It's fine. It's fine for me to be entertained by sin. It's fine for me to root for the love story, that, that romantic comedy that's rated that's not rated R. It's not rated R. It's PG-13. That romantic comedy where they have a whirlwind romance and it's so fun as they live in sin. As they are engaging in things outside of marriage. When did we become a society that believes that holiness is us being entertained by other people's sin? But I'm not sinning. I didn't, I didn't do that. I'm not cheating around. I'm not doing things. I'm not cussing, lying, cheating, stealing. Do, do, you, ha, do you not think it's strange? And look, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I've done this myself. Do you not think it's strange that we watch movies where the bank robber is the good guy and we root for him to win? That Hollywood has come in, Holly Weird has come in and painted a picture for us and said, root for those that are walking in sin? Because they're really nice and they're real people too. They're just trying to steal all the money. How many movies have you rooted for the bad guy? 
How many movies have you decided that mobster is the nice mobster and those mobsters are the bad mobsters and we want those mobsters to kill those mobsters? Follow me, maybe? Come on. We got John Wick, but they took his car. He's a contract killer and everyone's trying to kill him. And we're like, no, don't kill John Wick. I can pick any movie you want. And we root for the bad guy because he's not as bad as the other bad guys. And so what Satan does is says, it's not that bad. How did we get to the pornography? How did we get to the decadence? How did we get to that stuff? We got to it by compromising and being entertained by sin. I'm not trying to be religious. I'm not trying to be over the top. You guys know me. I'm relaxed with stuff. Like, I'm not trying to be that religious. But if you don't start protecting your eyes, if you don't start worrying about the company you're keeping, because when you come into agreement with that stuff, when you come into that stuff being what entertains you, that's the company that surrounds you. If you get into that atmosphere, you will become that atmosphere. You will be that corruption. If you are entertained by that sex scene, then you will start to engage in those things. It started with a seed, not a giant fruit. There has to be a call where we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, but turn from our wicked ways. And I'm closing right now. Turn from our wicked ways where we let go of these things of the world that entertain us. I'm not, I'm not, look, there is not a single movie you can turn on or a show is not going to have some nonsense on it. I understand that. I get it. Disney doesn't matter. Marvel, it's all in there. There is always corruption. So I, I am not being so overly religious where I'm telling you you can't watch anything anymore. I'm saying you have to get to a place where you are guarding yourself. Where if something does not agree with your spirit, does not align with what you want to be, that you have the courage and the, and the conviction to turn it off and send a message to the world that, hey, we're not going to partake in this. I could name off five Marvel movies and most of you would raise your hand, you saw that. But when Shoshana asked if you saw The Chosen, most of you didn't raise your hand. A show about Jesus the best show I've ever seen. I invested in that show. I'm an investor. I helped create that show. Me amongst 19,000 others, but I helped. I was one of the original investors that got that show off the ground before it was a show. It is the best show about Jesus. It's extra biblical, but it's amazing. But we watch that stuff. What goes into our eyes gets into our spirit. What goes into our ears, faith comes by hearing. That's what the word says. Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing the word of God. Spiritual principles work both ways. If you get around mighty men of God who prophesy, you will prophesy. If you get around the world who speaks evil, you will speak evil. If you get around those that speak healing, those around you will be healed and you will speak healing. But if you get around those that speak cursing and death, you will begin to speak cursing and death. Faith comes by hearing. What is your faith in? Is it in God or the enemy? Where is your faith? 
If you keep hearing what the world says, then your faith is in the world. If you hear what God says, here's the truth. We come in and church is like, oh, church is going a little long. No, what's going a little long is the world. Our time in the world is what we're going a little long on. If you played more video games or watched more TV this week than you spent time in the Word of God, then I don't feel bad for you that we went a little long. You're drowning and I'm trying to save you. You're suffocating and I'm trying to bring you back to life. I'm not judging you. If you were drowning in the river and I threw you a life preserver, would you get on to me and say, oh, now you don't think I can swim? Trying to give you life here. Why? Because someone else throws me a life preserver. I have men and women in my life that call me to account on my unholiness, my unrighteousness. Guard your ears. Guard your eyes. Protect yourself. And get in a company of prophets that you might prophesy. Get into a company of those people who are free that you might be free. Stop hanging out with the woe is me's. Because that's all you'll ever be. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.